Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Well, welcome everybody to this month's Kelly Dry and Warren Communications Practice Group podcast about the October 19th FCC Open Meeting. And for this podcast, we're going to focus only on the two very most important items that came up. Uh, They're really, uh, you know, quite different uh, from the other ones, and uh, they are of uh, great import to everybody in the uh, communications regulatory world. So I'm going to start first with what we'll call the open internet rulemaking. And this is a notice of proposed rulemaking adopted on a three to two vote, a partisan three to two vote, three Democrats, two Republicans. And it proposes to reclassify broadband internet access service from a lightly regulated information service to a telecommunications service regulated under Title II of the Communications Act. And then it will adopt a series of open internet rules uh, in addition. In essence, this notice of proposed rulemaking proposes to overturn the 2017 Restoring Internet Freedom Order, which was adopted uh, under the regime of Chairman Pai, and that order classified broadband internet access service as a Title I service, and it flipped the 2015 order of Chairman Wheeler, which had classified broadband as a telecommunications service. So you can quite easily see we've been going on a back and forth here, although for most of the time, broadband internet access service has been lightly regulated as an information service. Uh, The comment cycle is quite aggressive. Comments are due December 14 and reply comments January 17. Now, the first part of this proceeding is to reclassify broadband internet access service and therefore its regulatory treatment. Uh, Right now, it's an information service lightly regulated under Title I. And an information service is a service that offers an ability to acquire, store, process, retrieve information via some transmission medium. It wants to change this classification saying there really isn't a lot of 
processing and storage going on. Rather, the service is basically a transmission service. And under the Communications Act, the telecommunications service is one that is offered directly to the public for, for a fee, a transmission service uh, with those uh, particular criteria. The FCC is contending here that by subjecting broadband internet access service to Title II, it would give it the authority to safeguard national security, advance public safety, protect consumers, and promote deployment. In effect, what it is saying is broadband has become an essential service. And this is sort of a different rationale than presented back in 2015 when the focus was on uh, broadband providers as gatekeepers that could harm the so-called virtuous cycle. Uh, they still talk about that, but the main rationale is broadband is now an essential service. Now, the proposed Title II regulation then flows from that reclassification. And the FCC, in doing that, understands that there is not a neat fit between broadband service and all the provisions of Title II. And so, therefore, it's going to forbear from another provisions. But it is maintaining the provisions that are really the heart of common carrier regulation. Sections 201 and 202, those set forth the general duties to act justly and responsibly in setting rates, terms, and conditions, and to not engage in unjust or unreasonable discrimination. Now, the NPRM proposes not to adopt ex ante or ex post regulation or rate regulation. Uh, it's a little bit unclear how that's going to work out. And it's gonna, it's gonna be a little unclear how it jibes with what I'll discuss in the moment, the general conduct standard. The FCC also seeks to maintain various uh, sections dealing with the enforcement of duties, uh, investigations, liability. Those are sections 206, 207, 208, 209. Uh, and then the FCC proposes uh, not to forbear from Section 222, uh, the Consumer uh, Proprietary Network uh, Standard uh, for Privacy. S some of you may recall back in 2015-16, the FCC adopted elaborate privacy data security rules for providers of broadband internet access. Uh, that was overturned by Congress in 2017, a Congressional Review Act decision. And it's unclear the FCC has the authority after that to enact privacy rules. Uh, the notice of proposed rulemaking also proposes to reinstate the 2015 open internet rules, those are the so-called bright line rules against blocking, throttling, uh, paid prioritization. Uh, 
Those rules also included the general conduct standard, which was a duty not to engage in conduct that unreasonably interferes with or disadvantages the ability of consumers to access internet content of their choosing or of edge providers to reach consumers. Uh, and then uh, the FCC also proposes to retain the transparency rule which in its current form, it's now in effect, but it seeks comment on potential changes, uh, including to align it with the broadband label requirements. And then finally, the FCC seeks to address the issue of preemption and of state and local regulation. You may recall in 2015, the FCC said broadband internet access service was an interstate service and preempted state and local regulation. Uh, this time around, it starts in that direction, but it's unclear where it's going to end up, whether the uh, federal rules will be a floor on which states could build or a ceiling that states cannot go beyond. So that is sort of the outline of this proceeding. Uh, Chip, uh, let me turn it to you for a moment just to get your thoughts. Sure, uh, Tom. One, one thing I'll add to your list of some of the items that the uh, Commission would and would not forbear from in Title II uh, is also they, they would propose not to forbear from Section 224, uh, which applies to um, the rights of telecommunications carriers to gain access to polls and other public rights of way, uh, because currently uh, there's no basis for the commission to enable uh, broadband providers that are not also uh, currently telecommunications carriers uh, from having those access rights. Uh, and, and similarly, there are uh, rules uh, and policies around access to multi-dwelling units, multi-tenant environments that apply to telecommunications carriers and cable companies, but currently not to broadband providers. So those two would come into play for uh, pure broadband. Well, thanks, Chip. Uh you know, I should add one other feature that sort of overhangs this proceeding, and that's the major questions doctrine that the Supreme Court uh, has uh, opened up uh, in recent rulings. Uh, the FCC deals with it uh, relatively briefly and says uh, it has the authority to act here to reclassify broadband. Uh, this uh, it is, though, going to be a major issue going forward. Uh, and even if the FCC adopts these rules, uh, the likelihood is uh, this proceeding and the rules uh, that are adopted will end up in court uh, uh, with a challenge uh, that this violates the major questions doctrine. Um, Chip, any further thoughts on that? 
No, well, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, Commissioner Clark has been uh, founding that challenge, uh, basing a lot of his of it, uh, on the survivability of reclassification under the major questions doctrine. And in, you know, classic uh, dissenting opinion, his statement uh, issued uh, at the time of the open meeting was that he uh, was confident that his position nor reason will prevail today, as he put it. But he did look forward to uh, the review and his uh, prognostication overturning by the courts the commission's action. But you know, there, there's definitely an extremely partisan uh, buildup on both sides uh, of this. I think one of the other things to mention, I think it's a very interesting issue to watch, is while the in adjustment per the text of the FDRM following the open meeting did include, as you pointed out, Tom, language that it's not the intent of the commission to engage in ex-post or ex-ante price regulation. The commission still does uh, propose to, uh, you know, readopt the 2015 regulations against paid prioritization and zero rating. Uh, and the NTRM does not uh, really engage the question of whether that is uh, rate regulation uh, or not. Um, so uh, that, that'll be one of the many uh, subplots to, to watch here. But I think the key thing from my perspective is that uh, this item uh, talks a lot about policy and concerns that aren't, aren't, haven't necessarily materialized. Uh, and there, there's very much in the nature of uh, a notice of free silently woven through the, the NTRM uh, as the commission tries to, and the commission's majority, uh, you know, looks to try to build up a record to support the action they've proposed. Well, thanks, Chip. Um, obviously, uh, this is a uh, proceeding that has drawn a lot of attention. We expect it to move along relatively rapidly. Uh, as I said at the outset, comments are due in about 45 days now uh, and replies a little over a month later. Uh, and uh, we expect the uh, majority to want to uh, come to a vote on this, possibly uh, later in the second quarter. So stay tuned. Uh, and we will be back to you uh, to discuss this uh, new open internet proceeding further. Um, in the meantime, though, there was another major item uh, that the commission adopted at the October 19 open meeting. Uh, it's on six gigahertz. Uh, they've ruled there before, uh, and now this is a subsequent order uh, building upon that. And so with that, uh, as the introduction, Chip, let me turn it to you uh, to handle it. Thanks, Tom. As you note, the six gigahertz item from the October open meeting is a return to a spectrum band that was the subject of an order in April 2020 that opened up 1,200 megahertz of spectrum to expanded unlicensed use 
on a code channel basis with incumbent licensed wireless services. More specifically, the six gigahertz band is uh, ranges from 59.25 to 71.25 megahertz. The incumbent licensees in the band include fixed wireless services in 1100 megahertz, which are utilized by public safety, commercial mobile providers, and railroads, among others. Then there's the broadcast auxiliary service and cable television relay service, or CARS, in 350 megahertz of the six gigahertz band. And then finally, I'll mention that fixed satellite service uplinks are throughout the uh, six gigahertz band. And there are some fixed satellite downlinks in the upper 600 megahertz of their range. In the 2020 order, over concerns raised by incumbent licensees about the potential for interference from the FCC adopted rules to permit standard power fixed access points in 850 megahertz of the band. Uh, those could operate indoor or outdoor, and the access points would control fixed client devices and use automated frequency coordination, or AFC, as a means of protecting incumbent licensees. In addition, in 2020, the commission permitted low power devices operating indoors, sometimes referred to as LPI. Uh, these were permitted throughout the 1200 megahertz without the need for automated frequency coordination. Accompanying the 2020 order was a further notice of proposed rulemaking. The order from the FCC's uh, recent October meeting resolved one uh, set of the issues raised by the further notice, specifically whether to permit very low power or VLP devices for both indoor and outdoor operations throughout the band. In the open meeting, the FCC unanimously adopted a second report and order in docket 18-295 and docket 17-183, which opened up 850 of the 1200 megahertz for VLP devices. The new rules will permit VLP devices to operate both indoors and outdoors without the need for AFC. These 850 megahertz are the same frequencies where standard power access points are allowed today due to the 2020 order. However, the permitted VLP devices, unlike the client devices operated at standard power, that must communicate through access points under the pre-existing rules, uh, the VLP devices may communicate directly with each other without relay through an access point. And unlike standard power client devices, VLP access points and client devices need not be fixed. The commission's order expresses an optimism that the new rules permitting VLP devices will help businesses enhance learning opportunities advance healthcare opportunities, and bring new entertainment experiences to the public. The vote on the second report and order last month was unanimous, but it took two weeks before the final text of the order was actually released. This is very unusual as most items adopted at open meetings are released within a day or two of the meeting. 
the number of changes made in the second report and order from the draft that was circulated three weeks before the open meeting is a reflection of the controversies surrounding the order and the rules adopted therein. Notably, although they both voted for the item, Commissioners Nathan Symington and Brendan Carr each expressed a different set of concerns, which I'll mention in a few minutes. Opponents of the action include the incumbent licensee who continue to be concerned about the potential for interference to license services from unlicensed devices in the band, including from very low power devices. Storing up the text of the order against potential petitions for reconsideration and judicial review may in part have been the reason for the delayed release of the second report and order. I'll talk a little bit about some of the opposition, the Association of Public Safety Communications Officials International, or as it's commonly known, ASCO, criticized the commission's action for failing to address the multitude of concerns, studies, and questions that APCO and other incumbents submitted into the record. APCO projects that public safety operations will in fact suffer harmful interference from unlicensed devices, including VLPs, and that this will be nearly impossible to resolve when it Similarly, AT&T expressed concern that the order ignores real-world real world testing, demonstrating a risk of harmful interference, and that the rules surrounding VLP devices will fail to protect public safety and mobile broadband services by allowing more devices in the band that are free from, per AT&T, any obligation to account for uh, existing licensed services. And the Enterprise Wireless Alliance, EWA, expressed the view that the FCC hasn't addressed a process for identifying and reporting interference. And it urges the commission to incorporate that issue for consideration uh, in the further notice and identifies and, and encourages the FCC to identify a process for resolving those situations. at and and others also reiterated a call for the commission to consider a cost compensation mechanism to support the purchase of new equipment by licensed incumbents in response to interference received or the relocation of licensees who experience interference from unlicensed devices in the band, which would be compensated. In the second further notice, which accompanies the second report and order, the commission explained that this request was included in a pending rulemaking petition and that the commission would consider this issue of potential compensation at a future date. Now, I mentioned Commissioner Symington has some of even though he voted in favor of the item. And some of those concerns are aligned with certain aspects of the incumbent licensees positions, which I just summarized. Commissioner Symington is concerned that the order dismisses technical arguments made by certain commentators uh, in opposition to technical analysis presented by Apple, Broadcom, and others who argued in favor of the VLP rules. As a result of this failure to engage per Commissioner Symington uh, with the arguments made by 
uh, incumbent licensees. Uh, he's, he's concerned that the commission may be failing to anticipate instances of harmful interference to licensed services from BLP devices. He also commented in his separate statement that the FCC could find itself in the position of attempting to police interference fights in a heavily congested environment where licensees do not have the ability to identify the source of the interference making rule enforcement difficult, if not impossible. He expressed the hope that the record developed in response to this second further notice uh, would identify additional steps that can or should be taken by the FCC to mitigate the potential for harm for long appearance. I took some time to compare the final text, which came out uh, last week on November 1st of the, of the second order, second report and order um, and it seems apparent that the commission took the three weeks uh, before the open meeting after it circulated a draft order, and perhaps the two weeks after the vote before the item was released uh, to make some significant changes. Um, the FCC bolstered the technical discussion uh, in a number of places why it believes the record demonstrates that harmful interference from VLP devices to licensed services in the six gigahertz band uh, is a quite insignificant risk in the commission's view, uh, especially as reflected in the real world. Uh, the order, for example, uh, added language in its final release criticizing AT&T as relying on worst case scenarios, uh, which the commission finds unlikely to occur uh, in day-to-day in -day operations. And the order also elaborates on the assumptions accepted and those rejected by commission staff in evaluating the competing technical submissions into the record. The agency added in, in the changes it made in the second report in order to Well, the commission has no statutory obligation to conduct or commission its own empirical or statistical studies, close quote. In other words, it emphasized that it can rely on party submissions in the record, which it finds persuasive without conducting its own independent uh, analysis or studies. The final second report in order also now includes language that the commission believes uh, that good engineers can seek to replicate the studies that the FCC relied upon from the unlicensed device proponents to make its decision. Nonetheless, despite this defense of its action, the technical rules were further beefed up by the addition in the final second report and order of a requirement that VLP devices utilize a contention-based protocol requirement to avoid channels uh, that licensees are actively using. And it also required the the VLP devices to use transmit power control capability to reduce power by at least 6 dB uh, when needed to mitigate the risk of harmful interference. And the order is clear as it is in all of the commission's decisions regarding unlicensed devices that those devices may not, even if adhering to the technical rules under which they're authorized, must still resolve any interference caused to license incumbents. And in that vein, changes to the from the draft item 
uh, in the final second report and order include a lengthy explanation how the commission has tremendous experience in addressing complaints about interference from the operation uh, of unlicensed devices. And the commission expressed its confidence that it is equipped with the tools to address any prospects for harmful interference, starting with the equipment authorization processes. One of the other notable changes from the second, uh, excuse me, from the draft second report in order <clears throat> was the ubiquitous correction throughout the text of the language that had suggested that a signal into a victim licensed microwave receiver that exceeded minus six dB I over N uh, would be an evaluation method uh, for harmful interference. The text of the final second report in order abandoned the terminology of evaluation metric to make clear that the commission uh, was not making a determination that any signal received with the interference over noise ratio greater than minus 6 dB constitutes harmful interference. In other spectrum proceedings, such as that involving Lugato and concerns about interference into GPS devices, the commission similarly has rejected a quantitative definition of harmful interference based on victim receivers exposure to a signal exceeding the minus six dB I over N threshold. The alternative term to evaluation metric utilized in the final text is, quote, interference protection criterion, close quotes, as the commission continues to refrain from adopting, adopting a quantitative line that would identify situations that would be treated as harmful interference. Now, Commissioner Carr voiced a different set of concerns. He, he thought that the commission should have acted uh, now uh, even more broadly, modifying the rules to tackle some of the uh, additional issues that were raised in the 2020 further notice of proposed rulemaking and not focus simply on adopting rules for VLP devices. In April 2020, in the further notice, the FCC had uh, proposed a number of other changes and the commission has not rejected those, but is deferring action on those until a later order. And these include increasing the power spectral density of low power indoor or LPI access points and increasing the maximum tra transmit power that's permitted. Another change that's still under consideration is whether to permit standard power access points to operate under control of AMC while they are in motion. And then finally, uh, the commission is also looking at from that 2020 further notice, whether to permit outdoor unlicensed standard power access points operating with six links to use higher powers than currently permitted. Now I mentioned the second report in order was accompanied by a second further notice of proposed rulemaking. There, the commission solicits comments on uh, additional options that would provide for even greater power and flexibility for VLP devices within the six gigahertz band. Specifically, the FCC asked first whether the agency should permit uh, through further rule changes uh, that VLP devices can operate in the remaining 350 megahertz of the band that were unaffected by the second report and order. 
Second, uh, the commission will consider whether to permit VLP devices to use higher power levels than what the commission characterized in that order as a conservative maximum level. Uh, the commission proposes that such higher power levels for VLP devices uh, would be uh, controlled using a geofencing system or an alternative system to control the locations where the VLP devices using higher power could operate so as to better protect licensed incumbent operations. Third, the commission will consider whether it should permit higher powered VLP devices uh, that are all operating under the control of the same low power indoor access point to directly communicate with each other. And then fourth, uh, while the commission declined to adopt a stricter out of band emission limit to protect C to V2X devices in motor vehicles uh, operating just below the six gigahertz band, it's seeking additional information in the second further notice on the potential impact that BLP devices operating in motor vehicles could have on C to V2X performance and whether any modification of the out-of-band emission limits or other technical and operational requirements would be appropriate. The six gigahertz proceeding and the orders in 2020 and in October of this year are paradigmatic of the types of spectrum controversies existing between incumbent users and new entrants in an ever more congested and crowded spectrum environment. This is especially the case as new sharing mechanisms uh, among different types of uses uh, are being considered. While each band and proposed additional uses will present challenges specific to the particular situations, the themes of study and counter study uh, analyses of whether the risk and likelihood of harmful interference between incumbents and new entrants is reasonably likely or significant or would purely occur in theoretical worst cases, um, questions regarding the resilience of incumbent receivers and systems uh, to uh, increased risks of interference. Tom, I don't know if you had any other uh, thoughts or questions on this one. Well, thanks, Chip. Um, I don't. This proceeding, as you noted at the beginning, they adopted the original order what, uh, two, three years ago. Uh, they've gone through uh, a lot of back and forth on this. A lot of studies have come in, and I agree with you as, you know, it gets tougher to find spectrum. Uh, this is the type of proceeding that will ensue, uh, where you, you know, each side is putting in data, uh, contesting it, and the commission has difficult calls to make. So more to be seen on items like this. Chip? I agree, and I think that this uh, docket itself will uh, have a, a similar history as they move forward on the other proposals. But I, I wanted to take the opportunity to uh, thank uh, all of you that have joined uh, and listened to our podcast today. We will be taking uh, up uh, the commission's next open meeting uh, in November. Uh, I believe that's in uh, approximately two weeks. Uh, 
What's the date on that one, Tom? I think we're headed towards, what is it, the uh, 15th? Let's see if I get it. Yes, uh, because this is a, another you know, major uh, open meeting where they are going to deal with the digital discrimination order, among other things. So uh, it's a lot on the table right there. Yeah, and I think that's when, Tom, uh, where, you know, given that we now have a full uh, five-person commission with a Democrat majority, I think what we would see, will see, come out of that proceeding uh, will be a lot different than it would have been uh, if we still had a 2-2 tie. Uh, and that's one that's subject to a congressional mandate to issue an order uh, by that uh, meeting, correct? Right. Well, in fact, we've already seen the draft of the order. And I think, uh, you know, what you just said is correct. Uh, a 3-2 FCC is producing uh, a much different order than a 2-2 FCC would have. So with that, we hope to see all of you again in a few weeks. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.